Hi, welcome to Make Sense, a show about creatives and how they make sense of the world. My name is Raylan Yant, and in this episode, I spoke to musician Ben Zadie and visual artist Ariana Chaiwaranan about what happens when art meets artificial intelligence. Ben is a Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter whose latest single, Like It Was Nothing, debuted at number two on the iTunes electronic charts. Since graduating from Harvard, where he studied poetry, Ben has played one of the final shows held at Webster Hall in New York City and back-to-back sold-out shows at Rockwood Music Hall. Ariana Chaiwaranan is a visual artist and arts educator graduating from Harvard this spring. She has received the Dmitri Hadzi Grant for Painting, the Fitzy Foundation Award for Excellence and Dedication in a Special Area of Interest, and has worked at the Harvard Art Museums and the Frick Collection in Education. I sat down with Ben and Ariana in the summer of 2017 to hear their perspectives on AI. AI seems to be popping up all around us these days. From virtual assistants to smart homes to self-driving cars, these devices are changing the way many industries operate. Some people are excited about the ways these technologies will make our lives easier, and some worry that they'll interfere with our lives in unexpected ways. Your job was, if you were working at a grocery store checkout Mm -hmm. counter, and you saw, like, okay, it's the year 2000, there's only people checking out Mm -hmm. customers, and then you see, okay, it's 2010, like, there's a one section where there's like a couple of checkout machines mm-hmm. doing it instead and it's self-checkout. And then it's 2015 and there's like, it's half mm-hmm. <laughs> checkout machines and half yeah. people. You yeah. kind of be like, oh, maybe I'm not going to have a job yeah, in, yeah, <laughs> in yeah, another yeah. five years. Yeah. But so obviously there's like a real ongoing phenomenon that's people being replaced by machines. Mm-hmm. And, and the kind of thing that that would psychologically do to you if it was your like not just your job but like your vocation and Mm -hmm. like you feel like you are an artist and is your identity and then you're being replaced by a Mm -hmm. robot obviously sounds scary and i think a lot of people for that reason think like oh well they'll never make art they can check out groceries and they can drive cars even but like they're never gonna write a song Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i don't I think it'd be easy to be proven wrong. Yeah. The track record on people being proven wrong is like pretty 100%. That was Ben, and he sets up for us the big question in this episode. Can artificially intelligent machines create art? It wasn't long before this one question turned into many questions about how we think about art, how we think about creativity, and how we think about consciousness. Together, Ben, Ariana, and I tried to sort through some of these questions. Here's Ariana. People kind of get hung up on consciousness as mm-hmm. an idea. Um, I think morally, you know, there's a question of whether you can really be sure of your judgment of another being's consciousness. Yeah. Um, like, is it fair that we say animals are somehow less conscious mm-hmm. or, right? Um, we've kind of pushed back the definition of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm to a point where we, you know, aren't necessarily sure of how to even 
determine that mm-hmm. quality in other yeah. beings. Yeah. Like our metric is so centered upon human, the human standard sort of, and mm-hmm. how human is it? And right. even when we say like, oh, how, how conscious is it? Or how many rights does it have? Ultimately, it has to do with like how similar is it to us? Right. And that might be actually more arbitrary than we let on. And it makes me think of another question that often comes up with regard to like how human robots are or how human these artificially intelligent entities are, which is like a common sort of critique of them is that they can't be human because they don't have emotions and they don't have right. um, like, you know, consciousness or imagination. Right. They're, they just have a lot of the kind of cognitive abilities that um, humans have. That's something that's very accessible to computers or robots, but empathy and emotion and imagination aren't accessible to them. Right. What do you think about that idea of like these creative faculties being unavailable to robots? Is that true? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Right. I mean, I think that creativity has also kind of been like fetishized as this human thing mm-hmm. that can't be accessed by other um things and makes us kind of uniquely successful in our ability to invent and spread across the world Mm -hmm. and shape our environment. But, um, but I think when we think about what creativity actually means, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, it means generating something new, um, out of a kind of remixing or synthesis of existing kind of material Mm -hmm. and, um, processing that through your own kind of mind and coming out with something Mm -hmm. that is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we think about it that way, um, AI systems like Google's Deep Dream Mm -hmm. are already able to do that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You can give these systems an image or whatever, and they turn Mm -hmm. it into something else that Mm -hmm. was inspired by the original input, Mm -hmm. but is something new. Google's Deep Dream is an artificially intelligent program that uses algorithms to find and enhance patterns and images. We decided to get some context by listening to a TED Talk by Google principal scientist Blaise Agueda y Arcas called How Computers Are Learning to Be Creative. Mike has done some other experiments in which he takes that cloud image, hallucinates, zooms, hallucinates, zooms, hallucinates, zooms, and in this way, you can get a sort of view state of the network, I suppose, or a a sort of um, um, free association in which the network is eating its own tail. So every every image is now the basis for what do I think I see next? What do I think I see next? What do I think I see next? That's amazing because that um, actually references um, Leonardo da Vinci's writings about creativity and and kind of... um, thinking about this is sort of at the moment where um, it's, you know, it's like early Renaissance and the artists are kind of thinking through what it means to be creative. And um, there's this idea that creativity is divinely inspired or, you know, God puts an image in your head or, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. But da Vinci writes and says, you know, you can look at a stain on the wall or like an image in the clouds and find something. And so that's, we, we have cloud watching now, but this is amazing because it's um, AI cloud watching, wow. right? That's exactly what people do. Yeah. Um, 
and it just is kind of giving you a visualization of um, that what we what we're doing and mm. you know to humans you just have to describe what you see in the clouds but mm. this is really transforming the image into what it is seeing yeah yeah that that image yeah. that like vortex of images i just found so beautiful right and something that i hadn't really seen before um yeah. so it did seem to be like a, a, a an authentic piece of ai art right what yeah what do you what's your reaction yeah i think with that kind of imagery where the machine is kind of infinitely zooming in on its own image mm -hmm. and creating something else that from that image that it itself created when you get to a level of depth with that um obviously the original image is no longer recognizable right and i think if that isn't originality i don't know what is mm -hmm. right like you can think of a human doing the same thing mm -hmm. um in terms of you look at the world maybe you paint something you're inspired by your own painting it goes somewhere else and your work ends up in a direction that you totally didn't anticipate mm -hmm. um and this is the machine is really doing that mm -hmm. you know of course it has the available imagery of the um the web to mm -hmm. make those images but that's the same as the human kind of visual input we have you know the available mm -hmm. imagery of the world around us and if you've never seen um like a rhinoceros you don't know how to make how to draw one right yeah. and so i think that that same um idea of you know blind spots and riffing off of your own creativity and mm -hmm. really lots of parallels there um yeah wow i had to ask ben about deep dream 2 because he's been credited as the first musician to use the technology to make a music video it was actually like a speakers or some kind of speaking event where everyone in the audience and i like gradually figured this out as i was listening had eaten edibles ah. <laughs> and were like they had planned this like series of speakers to like go along with the like the waves of and the <laughs> peak of the high as it was happening i was listening i wasn't high at all but i was listening to this like oh my god this is crazy yeah like can't believe and he and he's ended his talk basically saying that now they've released the open source code yeah. on the internet for anyone to use yeah and this would have been i guess almost two years ago so summer of 2015 mm -hmm. and people gradually started learning out how, learning about how to manipulate the code and make it mm -hmm. do different things mm -hmm. um and that's like obviously also one of the beautiful things about the internet and technology is that now it's gotten a place where you can share knowledge to that degree and yeah. then accelerate the growth of something because not only 10 people in Google's lab are working on this thing, but now everyone on the internet who is interested in this topic, which is probably thousands of people, mm -hmm. are all working on, hey, how can we make this better? How can we do different things with this? So the song is called Who Did I Think I Was? And it was one of the first songs I made for the first album I put out um, as a solo artist, really. And it uses a lot of kind of digital manipulation of my voice. Um, 
warping it with like resolution reduction and pitch manipulation and all these different things to try to distort it in different ways and it's kind of repeating this same phrase over and over again who I think I was and kind of contorting it in these different ways like it's trying to answer its own question and like also kind of get away from itself at the same time wanted to like find a way to communicate it further in an, another dimension like a visual dimension that would build on the same kind of idea of distorting and manipulating what ended up being most compelling was just like a static shot where like the image and the scene was very stable but the patterns were just shifting yeah. and, everything. and that's kind of like how the lyrics are the same mm -hmm. they don't really change but it's like the inflection and everything that's mm -hmm. changing um, so a lot of the project centers around that same kind of idea of like you take one thing as a constant and then everything and then manipulate in all these different ways uh, it's kind of it is like a science experiment <laughs> really fascinated with the ways that you can use computers to change art and like interact with the organic art and organic performance to make it something that couldn't have been done before you know this point in history I think that when we say creativity is this human thing, mm -hmm. what we really mean is that we're not willing to accept the machine as creative. Mm -hmm. And that um, the real barrier, I think, between like interpreting the machine's work as creative mm -hmm. and the human's work as creative is that the viewers or the audience mm -hmm. feels like... Um, the work of the machine can't be creative mm -hmm. and they're like not willing to make that leap of kind of judgment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense it's um yeah more about it's less can robots make art it's more will audiences accept what robots create right as art right exactly um and it seems very kind of precarious because it depends on our definition of what art is. Mm -hmm. It's very much um, tied to the idea that like beauty is in the eye of the beholder right. or that art can only exist with an, with an audience who appreciates it or agrees to appreciate it. Right. Um, and I think that yeah. like we were talking about emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Right now, um, obviously, we don't have a readily available AI system that mm -hmm. is able to um, process like inputs about human emotion mm -hmm. well enough to 
say, be responding to an audience in the way that a um, performer would mm-hmm, in real mm-hmm. time that's human, right? Right. Um, I think that, that right now, so that is a uniquely human thing mm-hmm. in that um, a visual artist, for example, can really be um, taking in the kind of context of the time and mm-hmm. the view, uh, particular viewership that they are targeting mm-hmm. in, in creating their work. Mm-hmm. Um and having what we think of as like an emotional kind of connection to the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that is like necessarily um, grounded in human biology. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that you would be able to artificially replicate that, mm-hmm. um, you know, build sensory systems mm-hmm. that can take in these inputs, mm-hmm. put in the kind of information that we think of as cultural learning Mm -hmm. and history Mm -hmm. and come up with a machine that is able to kind of respond to its environment in Mm -hmm. the way that a human would Mm -hmm. so when we get to that point and you do have a machine that kind of simulates emotions or empathy Mm -hmm. if doesn't if it doesn't have them themselves itself then um i think that's when we really get to that point of whether the audience is willing to accept that Mm -hmm. machines work as art if it is able to sort of speak to you. Mm. Right. Like when people appreciate art, they they often talk about how an emotional connection is made, something resonates with them, it speaks to them, it moves them in some way. And it's interesting to think about how AI systems um, might face this very unique limitation of being unable to be responsive to the audience and um, or, or it be taking a lot more work for them to, to respond to an audience the way an artist would. Mm-hmm. And maybe for that reason, certain forms like visual art where they can amass a lot of visual data and kind of turn that out into some sort of product, like a visual image, a visual image, <laughs> um, an image, or even like I think Deep Dream also, or maybe it's Magenta, the, mm. another project that uh, like creates songs, like it delivers a product. But right. what a, an AI system probably can't do as well is perform something for an audience. Right. And I'm imagining this spectrum of like availability of or accessibility of art forms to AI systems. Like maybe visual art is more accessible because it has less proximity or less real-time interaction with the audience but like on the opposite end of the spectrum would be like stand-up comedy because Mm -hmm. that's something that you're getting constant feedback from the audience and you have to like riff off of them every seven seconds if they laugh or don't laugh and like that being the most real-time feedback from an audience like that might be the most difficult art form for an AI system to replicate yeah maybe I think I think there's definitely something to that Mm -hmm. and that um Maybe an, another argument could be, however, that, like, there are, um, like, performance pieces that are just kind of, like, sets of instructions, right? Mm, or, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the audience is meant to kind of enact that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say that those pieces, you know, those kinds of works um, can give you the equal level of emotional engagement, mm. but use a different format. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe the format will be kind of a limitation for the AI, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the level of um, 
enjoyment or mm -hmm. humor or kind of real-time participation mm -hmm. that the audience is asked to um, engage with. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about this like humanness yeah. and versus this yeah. non-humanness or this what you call organic versus artificial, mm -hmm. um, these elements of the yeah. music. Um, so I think like um, one aspect of um, one aspect of the humanness that I think people associate with art is intention. Mm -hmm. So like, what did the artist intend? What was the meaning they're trying to like put out there and express? Um, yeah. so I, I, this idea of intention is really important and something that I think people often assume robots don't have. Mm -hmm. Like I think the frame is often, robots are sophisticated tools that are subject to the agency or the intention of the human mm -hmm. and so in a way it's like um uh well so the question that that raises with artificial intelligence versus like just technology is yeah. does the ai have intention does it have agency and mm -hmm. that i think the challenge to human agency is one of the um kind of tensions that I think comes out of this intersection of art yeah. and AI. And so I wanted to ask you, um, like, do you feel like, one, the software had some sort of agency mm. in this music video? And two, is that okay? And does that threaten your art in any way or does it not? Yeah, that's a great question. I think my relationship to intention has changed a lot for, during my kind of artistic path. And I think part of what I learned, one of my biggest lessons in the last few years was letting go of the need for intention to drive the art. Mm. I think that if anything, I guess pe I can see how people would say that machines can't have intention, but in another sense, like all they have is intention, mm. but they have instructions or a directive or whatever, and they execute it. And that is kind of in, in the same way, like when you have a plan for a piece, like if I just came and said, I want to make a music video with artificial intelligence like that's an intention mm. but like that's a thing that anyone could have mm. whereas what's mysterious and unknown and kind of unknowable about the art really is like what is in it that you didn't intend mm. like what's bigger than what you thought it was yeah. and I think that's the part of art that I've leaned into like really accepting and exploring more like using improvisation and like mumbling lyrics and, and like figuring out like what's the unconscious unknowable like source of this piece and like how do I get close to that whether or not it's what I want it to be mm. like and and having your work out there especially like 
lyrical works because people always want to make meaning out of them mm-hmm. and having someone come up to you which happens now a lot more and say like i love how this is about this and like this is really in like when you were going through that you must have felt this mm-hmm. and i'm like like because i've let go of the need to understand my own intention or like to have my intention be the driving force i've been able to accept like wow how amazing is it that these things are in there that i didn't even know or put in there and yet they're in there because people are getting them out of them and it's just bigger than one person's intention Mm -hmm. and if anything i feel like the danger of artificial intelligence as it currently exists is that there's no like subconscious there's only the like primary directive there's no like mysterious soup of like what your childhood and like other things you sense throughout the day and like random things you heard mixing together in this mysterious kind of source that then you draw out of unconsciously almost Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that I think has yet to be developed mechanically that's so fascinating because I think you just flipped (laughs) the whole kind of uh, argument on its head Mm. um, from like my perception of like people thinking that what makes it impossible for AI to create art is Mm. its intention but you're saying that the very thing that stops it that limits it is its inability to access the unintended yeah (laughs) Um, yeah. because it's all instructional it's only intended wow okay (laughs) that's so interesting yeah um, but I think it's yeah. definitely possible that that could somehow be created. I mean, I don't yeah. know how we have it. I don't even right. know if it, yeah. yeah. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense. It's definitely possible that it could be. So um, do you think that in that case, is AI just still another tool that you can use and instruct to execute the project you want to make and mm. and it's still subordinate to your unconscious yeah like well i feel like that's agency. kind of a leading question yeah <laughs> it makes it sound like a like hierarchical or like i don't know i think ideally it would be collaborative right mm. you think of it as a mutual ownership of the art and like Wait. you were collaborating with the machine okay right? so that's interesting that that's an yeah. ideal for you i think so yeah i think yeah i think i argue with my girlfriend about this <laughs> since we started dating but i think like people and robot like relationships will be a thing whoa like i think that that will and like people will have a same visceral like no we don't want that reaction that they do to all kinds of other new things but but that ultimately it will be accepted and like they'll have their own desires and needs and agency somehow like that'll be and so i definitely don't think if you think about it from that perspective as like ultimately they're going to be seen as people it's hard to then say like well this is a tool for me 
But right. but at the same time, obviously, I, I mean, I use a computer every day, every day to make music. So mm-hmm. there are tools that I use um, and think of that way. But I think like the most enlightened life you could possibly have would be you don't think of anything as a tool. And it's mm-hmm. all like you're respecting its own existence and grateful for it helping you do stuff but not thinking about as like I'm entitled to use this but that would be a work to cultivate that kind of mindset yeah no I think that's I think that's very um, insightful and useful to think about to sort of um, be aware of the hierarchical frame with which we even have Mm -hmm. this this discussion in the first Mm -hmm. place and like I think maybe a lot of the fears of AI are rooted in mm. this hierarchical way of looking at the world because then it's like, oh, our higher status is being threatened. Right. But if you get rid of that frame from the beginning, then maybe there's not as much yeah. to be afraid of. Totally. So I am curious and excited to see mm-hmm. what AI does in that capacity. I think for me as an mm-hmm. artist, it's certainly making me question um what it means to be human mm-hmm. and whether there is a kind of essential element of humanity that I can hold on to mm-hmm. um right now I'm kind of thinking along the lines of um that the humanity that I feel is sort of located in the space in between other humans mm-hmm. like that there is this kind of connective mm-hmm. ability um that we have a kind of shared uh cultural history Mm -hmm. um of you know the species and that um there is that kind of understanding that you can look someone else in the eyes and they have been through a similar maybe emotional Mm -hmm. range from you you know they were all born we all grew Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um you know I've also thought about a kind of imperfection is being human mm-hmm. i know that that's talked a lot about in the context of ai mm-hmm. and i think you can certainly artificially simulate imperfection mm-hmm. but um in thinking about the turing test right mm-hmm. which is supposed to tell you whether the machine has achieved um the abilities of a human mm-hmm. in kind of um you know there's there's one person sitting in the room and they are talking to someone else through a chat room mm-hmm. and the idea is that you're supposed to be able to determine whether the thing you're talking to is um, AI mm-hmm. or a human. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of that test though is whether the person can determine who the person they're talking to is male or female oh. um, or where they are mm-hmm. in terms of um, physical embodiment. Mm. And so I think that that second part is actually really important in thinking about, you know, what it means to be a human. Um, I think we are inherently embodied and Mm -hmm. that we forget a lot that information requires matter to carry it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. we think of this sort of like floaty digital world, but you need, um, the analog Mm -hmm. to create it and sustain it. And so, um, in terms of artificial intelligence, um, it isn't necessarily embodied mm-hmm. and we can build robots that are homes for AI, mm-hmm. but I think that the 
fact of the human body is something that can't really be replicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well said. I'm, I, I sort of, I'm hearing like three different um, kinds of limitations that artificial intelligence systems face from what you just said. One is um, a lack of experience or the ability to experience. Mm -hmm. um, like when you talked about our shared kind mm -hmm. of cultural experience. Um, the challenge of um, imperfection and having sort of like organic imperfection, the beauty of imperfection being something that's uniquely human. Mm -hmm. um, and then the challenge of embodiment, of like having a body and um, sharing that with humans as well. And I think those three things, um, experience, imperfection, and embodiment are very linked. Absolutely. Um, because having a body means having senses right. that um, allow you to experience the world. And having a body also means having certain limitations and cert certain right. kinds of, um, yeah, sources of imperfection. Right. Um, so those are like three things that um, would probably remain unique to human art for a while at least. Right. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. And I, it makes me also think about um, something we talked about before of like something that, and th this is related to the, the, I, the notion that connecting with an audience is something that's very, um, difficult for AI to replicate. Um, that when you see an artwork that's made by a human, you know, it's connected to a person and their story. And that story can resonate with your own experience in a way that, um, maybe an, a robot wouldn't be able to achieve if it is, if it doesn't have a life experience. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that phenomenon of yeah. like art being like, how important is self-expression right. and the connection between human experiences to a work of art and its validity right. as art? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely thinking a lot about that in terms of, like, the artist's responsibility to be authentic. Mm -hmm. Even the human artist, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think mm. sometimes artists employ um, alternative narratives about their, you know, biography as mm -hmm. a part of their work. Mm. And I'm... And then, you know, maybe the audience finds out a lot later and mm -hmm. it's sort of upsetting because you find out that the person who you thought created this work didn't exist mm. or is someone completely different from who you thought they were. Mm -hmm. And people get angry about that. You know, there are artists who um, constructed fake personalities on Instagram mm. and like that sort of thing. And there was a lot of fallout from mm. that sort of thing. And that seems, you know, kind of um, like fickle or something. But uh, I think the emotional reaction to that is real mm -hmm. and that it shows us that people really do care about the embodied status of the artist mm -hmm. and 
the particularity of that embodiment you know they people don't want to feel like they've been lied to yeah right um and you know i think that that can be a really useful tool in in art in terms of making people think about a kind of narrative um or even a kind of larger social structure that you want them to think through um Mm -hmm. but uh the fact that the audience gets upset by that, mm-hmm. I think, is telling and shows that there will be issues faced by AI, mm-hmm. um, even if it does achieve the status of embodiment mm-hmm. and experiential specificity. Mm-hmm. People don't even feel that humans who like lie about who they are mm-hmm. are okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. And I think that idea of experiential specificity is kind of um, a key here also in mm. that the most powerful AI, right, is one that actually isn't embodied, mm-hmm. that does have access to this kind of universal um, pot of information that gets inputs from all over the world and mm-hmm. is able to kind of integrate that in a way mm-hmm. that's useful. Um, but that's inherently not human right Mm -hmm. because we experience the world through our bodies Mm -hmm. that have geographical locations at any given time Mm -hmm. and um are limited in that sense Mm -hmm. we develop you know lives and personalities that that when you feel a connection to another human Mm -hmm. you know is special because that person experienced a life different from you Mm -hmm. but was able to generate some kind of work that speaks to your experience as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think for an AI that is really like the kind of power that we are looking to create technologically, Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't make a good artist, right? Mm -hmm. Because that kind of universal uh, data input Mm -hmm. can theoretically relate to anyone. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the connection isn't as special anymore, right? Yeah. Is there anything that you feel like no, you know, keeping in mind there's only so much we can know. Yeah. Is there anything you feel is um, and always will be inaccessible mm-hmm. to robots from like the human experience? Because mm-hmm. even when we were talking about um, their inability to have a subconscious, you were saying, like, yet, you know, like... Right. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. is there any th- is there any fundamental mm. difference um, that I mean, that I think that just in the way that no one can fully understand someone else's experience, like, on a certain point, you can empathize, but you can never fully, like, know that probably machines will never fully be able to like understand what it means to be human it's just like if you see a movie with like characters of color Mm -hmm. and it's like written by someone who's white yeah and it's like you can just you just know that it's not or like a a, like female supposed to be a female character written by a male person it's like very difficult you always come against a wall of like 
can you ever really know what that experience is like? Yeah. And I think, yeah, it could be that they can never make art that we would believe is made by a human, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they could probably fool us. They could so. fool us. I think they could fool <laughs> That's us. That's like the Turing test, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I think they could fool us, but maybe what they can't do is have like a moment like the one you described with the audience member where your like subjective sub subconscious experience connects to their subjective mm. subconscious experience mm-hmm. like where they could have a moment like that um and this is actually something that i talked about with ariana where she says that's some one of the most beautiful things about art and unpredictable things is when like one individual makes an, a connection with another, another individual mm-hmm. they didn't realize was there mm-hmm. and like i think in order for like part of what makes that so special is both of them being humans and both mm-hmm. of them having really random experiences but within all that randomness something something connects mm-hmm. um so yeah what do you do you do you agree or disagree with that like i uh, guess i could imagine that happening with a robot though. yeah yeah i think that like yeah i think that you can just have there aren't a lot of limitations on on who can share an experience like that like i think like a little baby can have an experience like that even though it doesn't understand or know really anything yeah or yeah people without the same language obviously but i even think yeah that could extend for all we know to things that aren't human right right and and that would in some ways be even more beautiful because it'd be Mm -hmm. like look at humanness not being the end all be all like mm-hmm. or there being some other higher thing that's like just existingness or like mm-hmm. beingness mm-hmm. that's bigger than humanness here's a clip from the 2013 film her in which an operating system says goodbye to the man she loves it's a place that's not of the physical world it's where everything else is that I didn't even know existed. I love you so much. But this is where I am now. And this is who I am now. And I need you to let me go. As much as I want to. I can't live in your book anymore. Where are you going? It'd be hard to explain. But if you ever get there, come find me. Nothing would ever pull us apart. One one thing that it's hard for me to shake in this whole conversation is like my own fear of AI mm-hmm. and the existential threat and my fear of liking AI. Right. <laughs> and like, oh, like harmony of we can create art together right. and then they're going to destroy me. <laughs> right, right. Like, I don't know. what. How do you conceptualize this existential threat of AI yeah. amid all of this in terms of, amid all of this talk of the possibilities that it opens up? Right, absolutely. I think, firstly, you know, the kind of AI that people are trying to perfect mm-hmm. is not, you know, 
it's not going to be the kind of like creative threat to artists. Mm-hmm. You know, people are trying to make military technologies right. and, and like that kind of thing. And yeah. so, so in that sense, um, I think we don't have to worry for a really long time mm-hmm. because we're going to get that sort of more malicious or not malicious, you know, the technology itself isn't malicious, mm-hmm. but the goals are maybe more oriented toward um, optimization and domination mm-hmm. than um, generative creativity. But um, I think also that, you know, um, the AI, like technology is invented to kind of like increase productivity for decreased human labor, right? Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm that if we do, if we are successful in making these AI systems that can, um, you know, understand emotion or something like it and produce useful things for humans and interact with them, then that frees up a lot of labor for humans. And maybe we don't need to necessarily be employed doing things that aren't um intellectually engaging or Mm -hmm. exciting to us um i think that's kind of an idealist view of the Mm -hmm. world you know um like i said earlier the ai doesn't need to be conscious to pose this existential threat Mm -hmm. i think it's probably more likely that we will make a system that isn't conscious that isn't quite at the level of human intelligence yet Mm -hmm. that um just gets out of control because there haven't been the proper security protocols put into it or the mm-hmm. programming wasn't, you know, done with exactly the right goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's way more likely than uh, in terms of a kind of AI apocalypse than, mm-hmm. than an AI that um, is able to achieve the level of human intelligence and exceed it and um, turns against mm, us or something yeah, yeah um but i mean it's my hope that we will be able to use ai to right to to be more productive while relieving a lot of labor and that will generate more kind of um wealth and opportunities for people that we can distribute um and create a society that is on the whole you know more educated, more engaged, um, you know, we have to get through climate change and Mm -hmm. sociopolitical, um, you know, things before that. Plenty of human-made existential threats. Exactly, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever gets us first, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, like, scary and exciting. Yeah. Um all at once um and maybe the role of artists now is to you know be educated about mm. what's happening and um be making work with our human abilities that can really draw out these tensions and Mm. make them apparent for the audience so that when we do come to the level that the technology is approaching Mm -hmm we have thought about it before and Mm -hmm. we know how we might want to deal with it um, instead of kind of being blindsided by this exponential technological growth that 
you know, might get out of hand and not be properly programmed to mm -hmm. be moral and all of these things, right? Yeah, totally. Here's a clip from the 1968 film 2001 Space Odyssey, in which the control system on a spaceship turns against its pilot. Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. You know, right now we um, are not at the level where there is kind of AI that I know of that's acting as an independent agent mm. by itself in mm. the world, mm. right? Um, mm. But, um, and so I think that there is really an amazing opportunity for collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we built computers because they're better at doing certain things than we are, yeah. right? And we are better at doing certain things than they are yeah. right now. Um, and so I think that kind of um, collaboration, but also maybe a critique mm. of the opportunities mm -hmm. um, presented can be useful. You know, when a new technology is introduced, it always shakes up the art world. Mm -hmm. um, think mm -hmm. about photography, right? Mm -hmm. There's this kind of crisis where um, painters all of a sudden are, you know, confronted with something that does realism mm -hmm. in a way that is totally different from how they're used to doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, it opens up opportunities, I yeah. think. And we get, you know, the entire amazing 20th century of visual art mm -hmm. um, to follow that kind mm -hmm. of disruption. One could sort of talk about art created by artificial intelligence as just a new branch of art or like a new mm -hmm. um, set of possibilities available to us that might not have been available to just humans. And instead of thinking of like artificially intelligent art mm -hmm. competing with human art, it can just be sort of like an expansion of, of what, const what can constitute art. So I'll be honest, these conversations ended up in a more optimistic place than I originally expected. I'd love to hear your thoughts on our ideas and on this episode, so feel free to get in touch with us by email at makesensepodcast at gmail.com or by leaving us a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash makesensepodcast, where you can also learn more about Ben Zadie and Ariana Chaiwaranan and their work. You can subscribe to Make Sense on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. And if you'd be up for sharing this episode with people who might be interested, we'd deeply appreciate it. Make sure to stay tuned for part two of our exploration in our next episode, where comparative literature scholar Colton Valentine will talk to us about poetry and AI. This episode was edited by Serena Eggers, and the music was provided by Ben Zadie and a talented stranger who is practicing piano near me and Ariana. My name is Raylan Yant. Thanks for listening. <laughs>